0: Great. Good morning, Church. How are we? Good. Good. Great. Well, yes. Uh, as Johnny has very kindly introduced me, um, my name's Sam. I'm part of the team here at Trinity, and it really is uh, a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, like Johnny and Amy, me and my wife Mill have uh, been away on our holes. Uh, we've been away for over a month, which has been amazing interrailing in Europe. Um, but I've got to say, just this morning, there is no place I would rather be. And it's good to be back among family here and back in the great city of Nottingham. Um, so, yes, yeah, good to be with you. And uh, while we were away, uh, me and Mill had the chance to go to Florence in Italy. And while we were there, we went to, thank you, uh, the Academia Gallery to see the famous, the renowned uh, Michelangelo's, or Michelangelo's, I should say, David. There he is, there's Dave. Um, And I should, I'll I'll be up front, Uh, the the fig leaf isn't original, I have utilised my Microsoft paint skills this week to uh, cover David's modesty there. Uh, But if you haven't seen this before, uh, you don't quite get uh, an idea of the scale from this picture, but this is over 14 feet, so double my height, way over double my height, a statue of uh, David from the Bible by a famous artist called Michelangelo. Now, this was completed, or or kind of done, from 1501 to 1504, so over 500 years ago, by a 26-year-old Michelangelo. I must say, when I learned that, I seriously re-evaluated how my 20s are going. (laughs) Seriously, oh my gosh. Um, But it really is um, a masterpiece, and after two years of kind of relentless work on this statue, where Michelangelo supposedly slept and ate very, very little, He finally revealed it uh, among people, and people were so astounded, they were so um, flabbergasted, uh, insert your word of choice, by the quality of this piece of art, they couldn't quite believe it. And so they asked him, you know, Michelangelo, how'd you do it? And he supposedly, as the tale goes, replied with these words He said, very humbly, I just released the right sculpture from the right block of marble. I just released the right sculpture from the right block of marble. Easy as that, so go home, there you go, get a block of marble, have a go. (laughs) And still today, this sculpture is considered to be one of the finest pieces of art ever to be created in human history. It truly is just astounding if you can see it. Uh, But while we were there, me and Mel, kind of elbowing our way past the thousands of tourists who visit it each day, as you can imagine, there were another set of sculptures uh, in this same room, actually, which really caught my attention. There they are, uh, called Michelangelo's Prisoners. If you can see those now, these essentially, you can probably tell, are a collection of Michelangelo's unfinished works. And seemingly so, it looks as if the figures themselves, you can just make out, are kind of trying to escape, trying to push out from the blocks of marble from which they're being carved from, right? It's quite an astounding uh, image, and so much so, actually, that it's claimed today, perhaps rather conveniently by the tour guides, that Michelangelo intentionally uh, left these sculptures unfinished. It's not just that he couldn't be bothered. Uh, in order to illustrate and symbolise the uh, universal human struggle for freedom, to be our truest selves, to be the masterpieces, the Davids, that God has made us and is making us and will make us to be. Quite a profound image, I think. Now, a few weeks later, after seeing these statues, I was uh, in the south of France, spending some time with Millie's family. It was amazing. And I was snoozing by the pool, as you do, And uh, Millie's father, James, my father in law, a wonderful man, uh, was reading a little book next to me. It's this book, actually, by someone called Brother Lawrence, and it is called The Practice of the Presence of God. I would highly recommend it to you, contend that you read it uh, today. And he turned to me on his uh, adjacent sunbed and he said, Oh, Sam, can I just read you some of this book? As you do, you know. So, of course, to my father in law, he said, Yes, of course, read as much as you would like. I am eager to listen. And uh, he read these words to me, I believe they'll be on the screen as well, from Brother Lawrence here. Sometimes I imagine myself as a stone before a sculptor, from which he will carve a beautiful statue. Presenting myself then before God, I ask him to form his perfect image in my soul and to make me entirely like himself. A beautiful thought. And as James read that to me, my mind was instantly cast back right, to seeing those statues and the contrast of Michelangelo's David and Michelangelo's prisoners. And so after our short art history lesson there this morning, Trinity Church, I hope you're still with me. My question for us this morning, what I want us to consider, is how might we, as people, as a family, as Trinity Church Nottingham today, like Brother Lawrence, learn to present ourselves before God and allow him, the master sculptor, to chip away at the blocks of stone and marble which can constrain constrictors and free us to be our truest selves and the masterpieces he's made us to be. And I'll, spoiler alert, my answer today for us is surrender. 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 And so let's uh, return to David, uh, this time not Michelangelo's David, but the David uh, from the scriptures, which Nikki read for us. Thanks again, Nikki. Uh, from a story in 2 Samuel 24, which began, uh, began, excuse me, in verse 18 like this. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, I'm not sure, the Jebusite. Now, you might kind of pick up from this that, you know, the the verse begins with, on that day. So it implies kind of, well, which day? Is it a Tuesday? Why does that matter? And we're actually picking up this story kind of halfway through, if you like, so to catch us up to speed. uh, In 2 Samuel 24, this is one of the real low points in the life of King David, who's one of the most famous kings uh, in the Old Testament king of Israel. And he has, just previously to this reading, disobeyed God. And rather than trusting in God for deliverance, for protection, for freedom, he has decided to build up, to puff out his chest and build up Israel's army. You know, this is the David who, as a young shepherd boy, takes on Goliath, right? The giant, you know the story. And rather than trusting in kind of military prowess, he doesn't even take the right equipment with him. Instead, he takes a a measly slingshot and his radical faith in God for deliverance. You know, this David, the same David, who, as I read this morning in Psalm 20, writes, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God alone. Well, this David doesn't quite live up to that in this story. So much so... That due to his own sin and choice, if you read the full chapter, uh, a plague breaks out among the people of Israel and thousands upon thousands of people are dying. This is a serious, serious issue, serious low point. And in this moment, on that day, in verse 18, as we pick up, something happens. There's a turning point in this story. Something clicks for David as he has a conversation with uh, Gad, the prophet, and he goes to build an altar, to build an altar to the Lord, and to intercede. On behalf of the people that is to pray for the people for the nation I loved Kate's definition this morning if he puts a foot in the door and says I will take responsibility in this moment I'll bring a sacrifice to God where does he do it well he goes to your favorite place and mine the threshing floor of a round of the Jebusite you know we all know that right well not me as I read this story A few weeks ago, and there's so much to say about this, but essentially what I want you to get is that previously in the story, this is the place where things have been at their worst. This is in the thick of it. This is where the plague and the death toll has been at its highest. And so what I want us to see this morning, church, is that David doesn't only go and build an altar. He he doesn't retreat to do it. He doesn't go somewhere quiet and away from the mess. In fact, he literally gets right into the mess and builds it there. Interesting. David gets some skin in the game, and actually, fun Bible nerd fact: I love this. Uh, this spot, this seemingly arbitrary spot, will become the place later in the story of the Bible where the temple is built. Probably related to this moment, this moment of surrender and sacrifice and intercession. And so, as we follow the story, David rocks up, and uh, around the Jebusite comes out to meet him as we read, and he probably recognizes him. Seemingly so. You know, King David's quite a big deal. Perhaps he's read about him. And he says, uh, essentially, gives David the deal of his life, right? He says, my threshing floor, you can have it. In fact, David, I'll do you one better. All of the material you're going to need, the oxen, the wood, the grain, I'll throw that in as well. You can have it. I've got it right here. What a deal. Easy, right? Well, David replies with these words that Johnny also picked up on. No, I insist on paying you for it. Why Because I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. You know, in the retelling of this story, or the parallel telling in the book of Chronicles, there's a detail of David insists on paying the full price, the full price. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God something which costs me nothing. Profound thought. You know, David refuses the freebie he refuses the easy way. He refuses the deal of pay nothing and get everything. He understands something crystallises in his mind in this moment of to take responsibility, to intercede on behalf of a people, I want, it's going to cost me something. This is going to cost me something. And I want it to cost me something. You know, this utter low point, verse 24, is such a kind of arc of a story. This utter low point in the life of David becomes one for his highlights reel where he takes responsibility and brings a costly sacrifice to God. And through his intercession, God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and healing is released to the whole nation. We read in verse 25, again, I think on the screens, David built an altar to the Lord there, and he sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered his prayer on behalf, on behalf of the land. And the plague on Israel was stopped. Remarkable. Now, as we reflect on this story from the life of King David, I can't help, right, but it draws our our attention, our minds forward to a different king, another king of Israel. We've sang about him this morning, King Jesus, the true king of Israel. David kind of to the power infinity, yes, who not only gives up 50 shekels, For the healing of a nation, remarkable though that is, Jesus gives up his whole life, his being on the cross, that you and me and the whole of creation might know God's healing and blessing and restoration and redemption. I'm just going to let the Bible kind of speak for itself here. The author of Hebrews in chapter 7 puts it like this, again on the screens. Therefore he, that is Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede. There's that word again, pray on behalf of, for them. He sacrificed for their sins once for all. When he sacrificed himself, Jesus gives himself. Or how about this? In Romans 8, Paul writes, of Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is where? At the right hand of God. And is also interceding, that same word, for us now. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You know, that's Paul's list. Maybe today, what would we say? A cost of living crisis? A climate crisis? A crisis of racial injustice? Serious though these things are, Paul continues, no, they won't separate us from the love of Christ. No, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, Paul really labors the point, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Just ponder this thought with me for a second, church. Maybe close your eyes if you find that helpful to imagine this, that Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ gave himself, gave his life for you. And that right now, in this very moment at 11.50, on a Sunday morning, Jesus Christ is interceding for you. He is praying for you. He's willing good into your life. (laughs) What a beautiful mind-blowing thought. And so what does this mean for us today, church? Well, Jesus calls us to follow him. Nicky also read to us from Mark 8, uh, where Jesus says these words. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Why? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, whoever sacrifices, whoever surrenders themselves to me and for the gospel will save it, will find it, will live the life which is truly life. The way of Jesus, church, is the way of surrender. The way of Jesus is the way of surrender. Letting go. Relinquishing control, giving God your yes, which only you can give in every area, every aspect, every relationship, every situation in your life. That challenges me to my core. And so, church, how might we today, like Michelangelo's prisoners, do you remember that picture How might we learn to free ourselves from the blocks of marble, the things which constrain and constrict us, the things which weigh us down, the things which concern us? Surrender. How might we learn to present ourselves to God like Brother Lawrence and allow him to chip away at us, to make us into the people he has made us to be, our truest selves, to become more like his very self? Surrender. As we head into September, church, and vision month, all that lies ahead of us, I contend today. I humbly hold before you the claim that there is no better posture, there is no better way to go into that than utter surrender to Jesus. What would costly sacrifice look like? What could it look like for you today? Is there something in your life which remains kind of in that bread bin, if you like, outside the realm of God's Of giving it to God, of giving God your yes in that situation. Is there something you need to surrender to give over to God today? Imagine church. Imagine with me if we could be a people, Trinity Church Nottingham, the church, the Church of England, the church, the universal church could be the kind of place where we refuse, like David, like Jesus Christ, to offer something to God which won't cost us anything. That we offer everything we have, our whole selves, our whole beings, so that we might see through that intercession healing and peace and renewal and joy and the kingdom of God established everywhere on earth as in heaven. Surely that is the church on fire, a church surrendered and the city alive, a city healed. So church, this morning, I invite you with me to surrender again, maybe for the first time this morning, maybe for the the nth time to Jesus. And all which he has won for you, his love for you, to receive it, not to grasp, this is not trying harder, this is letting go, receiving the love of Christ again this morning and in doing so, how can we not offer our whole selves, our whole lives back to the God who gives us his very self? Amen.